Hey everybody, this is Frank Range Jr. from History Through the Eyes of Faith. Just wanted to give you a heads up to check the link in our bio for Kofi. It's a way that you can go and support the podcast if you like what you're hearing, and also a way to find some merchandise and some extra content. So check out the link in our bio, head over to Kofi. It's a great way to support the podcast. Did I miss anything, Ange? Oh, add in. You can also comment there, ask questions, and join us in a chat room. Oh, wow. And there's so that you can chat with us. Anyway, check out Kofi. The link is in our bio. I became fascinated with looking at things where they fall in a, for lack of a better word, on a timeline. You might find out something about that story that could not be anything but God. Now you're reading that and you're thinking, why do I care about idiots? Yeah, and listening to it going, I don't want to listen to this podcast. <laughs> exactly. I'm a snake. I'm a slitherous snake. I'm a snake of snake. <laughs> you have the potential to do great evil or to do great good. Because what you see when you begin to look at history is that we're all connected. This is History Through the Eyes of Faith with Angie Ferris. And I'm your host, Frank Rains Jr., along with producer Wes. Thanks for listening. So where do we stop? We talked about the flood. We did. And we talked about Noah had some, some sons on there. And when they got off the boat, it was the beginning of the new, well, the next thing in history. was Right. So, um... Who were the who were the sons? Ham, H A M, Shem, S H E M, and Japheth. Japheth. Yeah, what did I say about Japheth? Japheth. Oh, Essa, Ham, Lamb, Lamb, Ham, Lamb, Shem, Shem. That's Shem. Noah's boys. Yeah, that's it. They didn't have last names. No, because there weren't many Shems. If and you knew it, Shem, you knew it was. So here's an interesting thing. Plus, this is kind of plus they're all on the boats. No, I'm not going to do that. There wouldn't have mattered. Okay, they didn't need last names because they were the only people. So you're not going to have a Noah Smith and a Noah Jones. It's Noah, because and everybody knows him. Because there's only other four other. Because he is everybody's daddy, right? Yeah. <laughs> so there's not another Noah. That's a good bit. There's no last names on the ark. You don't need them. We just quit that. Or you can make up whatever you want we now because nobody else has them. Noah of the ark. <laughs> Keeper of the water. Okay. So, um, something to keep in mind as we move forward. Episode three. Episode three. Which no will, last names on the ark. No. It's titled No Last Names on the Ark. Okay. Something to keep in mind as we move forward. That just about every story in the Bible has a meaning or several meanings that play into future history. Okay, so like you read it and you think on the surface, this is what this story is about. But then as you study the entire Bible, you see layers of meaning in things that came early. So in, so there's this unusual little story right here after the flood. And I'm going to be reading from Genesis chapter 9, verses 20 through 28. And he says, that, here's the way the story goes. Then Noah began farming and planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and uncovered himself inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine, he knew what his youngest son had done to him. So he said, Curse be Canaan, a servant of servants. He shall be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. Noah lived 350 years after the flood. So all the days of Noah were 950 years and he died. So he was he was upset with Canaan. He was upset. Canaan was not born yet. Remember what their names are? Yeah. Ham, Shem, and Japheth. But he was upset with Ham, who become, who is the father of Canaan. Okay. 
So that's already speaking to the future, right? Well, if he didn't know who Canaan was, I mean, if Canaan wasn't born yet, right? he was, lack of a better word, shunning Canaan. Okay, yeah, I didn't know that story. So there's a lot of a lot of meaning in that I don't understand. So just guess and what would you think? Who who comes out on the good end and who comes out on the bad end? Who messed up and who did right? Sham. Ham. Ham. Mm-hmm. And the other two brothers, right? Yeah. Did they all do the same thing? Well, two of them went back and covered him up. And even turned their heads so they didn't see yeah. him. And Ham didn't. Right. Because he was And like, then when hey, Noah realized what's happened, what does he do? He, he I guess, um, praises. Blesses. Blesses two of his sons and curses. Curses the other. And a spoken bless or a spoken curse carries all the power. It's just not like a passing thing that you say. It when the father does that, we see that throughout the Old Testament too. And it was in that culture when the father blessed or cursed, it meant something. So that right there is a precursor that the people, the descendants of Canaan, are going to be servants. Below the descendants of Ham and Sham, which yeah. is kind of interesting as you go. Which forward. goes back to a question that is probably not part of the study, but the nakedness, well, the dr- first the drunkenness, and then the nakedness. What are those symbolizing? What what what's the? Oh my gosh, she was drunk, or oh my gosh, she, I mean. W- well, the drinking of the wine and becoming drunk and uncovering himself—that is just. I don't think there's meaning to that here. Okay. I mean, there could be. I'm, I might be speaking out of school, okay? But that's not usually addressed. That's just like, nor, like that's something that would happen. You okay. make some wine, you drink it, you might get drunk. You might take off your clothes. The problem Tequila is... Tequila makes your clothes come off. <laughs> the problem is, is seeing the nakedness of your father. Now, there are potentially other meanings of what that means seeing the naked of your father but the things that i've read at the very least it is at least literally seeing the nakedness of your father okay which is disrespectful and then to do it and then go and go tell your brothers it's like making a joke like oh you know and that's disrespectful should know better okay and so anyway it's an it's a an interesting story, but it's also, I think you remember how we talked about with Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, then they had Seth, and why did they have to have the third son? Because Cain and Abel both died, right? No, one of them killed the other one, yeah. so you were left with one deceased and one being a murderer. So you need a faithful lineage right. yeah, okay. to come through. So this is what happens here. Then the faithful lineage comes through either... Sham or Japheth. Okay. And if you wanted to take a chart and work your way through the Bible, and I'm sure people have done this and you can find the resources, you can see that how this one's connected to this one's connected to this one, which eventually is going to come down to the, to Abraham and going on down as we go. Okay. Um, another thing in that reading is that about how long, Noah lived. So we talked about this last time and just wanted to revisit it about kind of the shortness of history. Okay. And can I can I revisit it for a second? Yes. What do you say to those listeners to say, Ain't no way Noah lived out in fifty years? I, I say you can choose to believe it or not to believe it. Yep. I choose to believe it. I, I, I think that the scripture talks about all these people living longer. And I think that we could find reasons of why our lifespan is shortened as we live on this earth. Physical reasons. Mm-hmm. So, it's so how a, many, according to the Bible, if you look at the lineage of things. Mm-hmm. Whenever you would believe that the last chapter of the New Testament was written. The last chapter of the New Testament was written. Mm-hmm. Or when the Bible was, was done. Here it is. This is the Bible. Mm-hmm. 
how many how much time I mean here we go how much time from that to well I guess the calendar goes back to the birth of Christ oh yeah the calendar I mean the Bible was written and finished writing and very much recorded history you know it was the last books were written was written somewhere between 70 to 100 AD so yeah yeah okay so that's there well so you're saying according to the Bible then history is a few thousand years um well the Hebrews count the years from creation like they they have a Hebrew calendar and so this year 2020 is year 5780 you knew that off the top of your head no I looked it up so I could say it in my podcast <laughs> 5,780. Yeah. Which does not align. And it's actually that's 2019 slash 2020 because their year doesn't start at the same time. Okay. So, but that doesn't align with scientists' view of the history of the world. Yeah. And we're going to get to that too. If you, well, I mean, we don't have to, that's not what this is about. No, no, but there's, there's a, I have a section for that as that we're fixing to come up upon. But yeah. So we're fixing to for those folks who I'm aren't from sorry, the south. I'm sorry, I gotta take no, I that like it. word out of my vocabulary. No, nope, not if you're from the south, you gotta say fixing to. But if I'm gonna use it, I need to talk like that. We're fixing to. <laughs> about to. Anyway. Okay. So, so after so the, the reason that they come up with five thousand seven hundred and eighty is counting those years backwards. Right. Okay. Now, some people do math differently, and I don't know where the where the differences are, but people using biblical counting, using the years that are described, like Noah was this many years old when he died, and doing that with all the people going back to Adam, you're looking at somewhere around four thousand BC which would be more like 6,020 now, whereas the Hebrews are saying 5,780. So that's like a 300-year off in there mm-hmm. somewhere. But somewhere around mm-hmm. 6,000 years ago Okay, using that counting. So that's where you are. Another interesting thing that kind of has to do with time that I think is Psalm 144, verse 4 says, Man is like a mere breath. His days are like a passing shadow. And I think that that takes on more meaning when you look at the shortness of time, that it just comes and goes. Yeah. We're coming and we're going. And an interesting thing, too, I don't have this one up in front of me, so I'm going to open it up. But James, because I was just reading this this morning, James is in the New Testament. is a little book toward the back. James chapter 1, verse 17. First part is, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. I just think that's a cool thing with Scripture, because right there in Psalm 144.4, man is like a mere breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Shadows change constantly, right? I mean, right... We can see that outside, just moment by moment. But God, there is no variation or shadow due to change. So it's that, constant. Constant, that contrast. Okay, I don't know if that was worth the pause, but I thought it was cool. No, I thought it was good. Um, so, but you were talking about the years, mm-hmm. because the last thing you read was that Noah lived to be 953? 950, I think. Okay. Yeah. So... Is that bringing us in the history through the eyes of faith to the next card, to the next section? Yeah, so so when you're reading through the Bible, there's the story of Noah and what I just read. And then in chapter, that was in 9, if you look, in 11 is the next story. Any guesses what that would be? Well, um, Moses? No. No? We're Mm -hmm. much, okay, so... Yeah, here we go. So we get off the boat. No. What did, do you remember what God told them to do when they got off the boat? Multiply the earth. And and spread m- out. Spread out. Okay. And so what do they do? They don't spread out. Well, some of them might. But there seems 
So Genesis 11, 1, I'm reading from uh, verse 1 through verse 8. Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. It came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. They said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Side note, which is what God had asked them to do. But they say, No, we don't want to be scattered. We're going to build this tower. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men have built. The Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do, and now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. So that's the Tower of Babel, Tower and it's the creation of languages, and the different languages and scattering among the earth. Mm-hmm. So, explanation there, because it would make sense they get off the boat, they all speak the same language, right? One thing I find real interesting about this story and all it, it kind of in, encouraging at the same time god says nothing that they purpose together will be impossible that they purpose to do will be impossible for them so nothing that we purpose together when we're working together is impossible um mankind is c- capable of enormous evil when their sinful natures become aligned so, like, that can be a negative thing. So, what God does, and that's, which is what we would say happened, because they're specifically doing what God asked them not to do. He asked them to spread out and multiply across the earth, and they're building a tower. And I think it's, um, a tower whose top will reach into heaven and let us make for ourselves a name. So they're wanting to make for themselves a name, reach up to God. Some people can interpret that even like become like gods themselves. And so God says, let's disperse their language. Um, but it also sp- speaks to the strength of how strong we can be working together and what we can accomplish when we're aligned with God's will. Mm-hmm. So that God has given us this ability to accomplish great things when we work together. Now, skipping way forward ahead in history, but also looking at history through the eyes of faith as Christians with Christ abiding in us, seeking his will, working together in his will, there is much that can be accomplished. And maybe God says nothing is impossible for them when they work together. So I just think it's cool that it's in that story that's given us um, an ex. A kind of a demonstration of the way God has created us to be um, creators and to be able to accomplish much working together. So he decides to stop their progress by giving them, dividing them a, a according to language. Because people who speak different languages have an immediate barrier to communication right? Mm. Making it harder to cooperate. And that would naturally begin to separate people into groups. Okay. So they're separated. Yeah. Now, another interesting to think about thing to think about is like, maybe for the first time in history since then, right now, could we not potentially talk to anybody anywhere in the world and be able to communicate with them? We can, through technology now. Exactly. So that's kind of a curious thought to think about. That we're now back to where they were. We have the attention, we have the potential to do great evil or to do great good, depending on whether we're aligning with God's will or not. Yeah, it's interesting. It is. I think so. Um, 
Something else. Did you notice anything else in that reading? Did anything else stand out to you in that story? Any of the language catch you by surprise? Why don't you... Right here, verse 7. Come let us go down and there confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. Did you catch it? Confuse their language? Yeah, but... This is God talking, right? right. The Lord said, come let us go down. Mm-hmm. There and confuse... Us. Yeah. So it's more than one. That's kind of... It catches my attention. Yeah, and that's what it says in Genesis. Exactly. Come let us. Do what? Go down. Yeah, I think it says, uh, let us create them in our image. Hmm. Yeah. So God may be speaking to himself within the Trinity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit there. Yeah. It's kind of cool. To see that back there, that God... Is himself relationship. That there is an and more than one us. Yes, yeah. So we have the flood. We have the Tower of Babel, right? And then the next story is the first person after the flood that we have this recorded story of God talking to, and that would be Abraham. Okay, and this is in Genesis eleven. I'm gonna and. And just for purpose, Abraham's name was Abram until God changed it to Abraham. Okay. So in this reading, he's still called Abram. Same person. Okay. Okay. So I'm reading from... I want to pause for a second. Okay. Many of people are learning languages with Babel, the language app built by language experts. Why Babel? Our short and effective language courses get you speaking with confidence. Isn't that weird? Okay. You wonder where this they got that. episode sponsored by Babel. Well, isn't it interesting how they got that name? No. It's like the inverse. Well, they but they, mis- they didn't spell it the same way. Oh, well. But that's totally what they meant. Well, and that's where the word comes from, probably, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. So, Genesis 11, 27, 12 through 7. Now, these are the records of the generations of Terah. Terah became the father of Abraham, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his birth in Ur of the Chaldeans. Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Sarai was barren. She had no child. Now, you're reading that, and you're thinking, why do I care about any of this? Yeah, and listening to it going, I don't want to listen to this podcast. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, but it's like, it's like if you jump into the middle of an episode of your favorite uh, drama, right, that, mm-hmm. that has an episode every week, and it's the little thing at the beginning that reminds you who all these people are. So what he's yeah. doing, he's setting up the story. Every one of those people, almost every one of them, plays a pretty big role as we go forward. Milka? She does not. I was about <laughs> she, to say. She's, but she does get mentioned, but yeah. I wouldn't call that a large a large role, but you know what the deal is. So Tara is the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Okay. So Tara, now I'm starting with verse 31. Tara took Abram, his son, and Lot, who was his nephew, no, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, who was Abram's wife. And they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran and settled there. Now, Haran is not in the land of Canaan, but it says they set out from Ur to go to Canaan, but then settled in Haran. So Terah didn't reach the destination he intended to reach when he left. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Okay? Young guy. Hmm? He was a young guy. Yeah. Well, you will see as more time goes by, their lifespans get shorter. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth. Now, so his father has taken them as far as Haran and stopped, and then he dies. Mm-hmm. 
some point after that. So the Lord says to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse. And you and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. Now Lot was Abram's nephew. Now Abram was 75 year, years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the side of Shechem to the oak of Morah. Now the Canaanite was in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, so the land was inhabited by the Canaanite, to your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So this is the first conversation of God with a person after Noah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And and it's been some generations. And he tells Abram to what? What does he tell him to do? To to inhabit the land and to To pick up and go and go to this land. And it's the land of Canaan. Where have we heard we just talked about Canaan. Canaan was cursed. Because he was he's from the descendants of Ham. Yeah. Who yeah. So now God's taken them to the land that belongs to the Canaanites and telling Abram he's going to give it to them. He's going to give it to Abram and his descendants. Okay. Okay. Um, so that's the beginning of the story about Abram. It introduces the characters that end up playing a role later on, and it also shows us that God is speaking and asking, and Abram is obeying and going to the land of Canaan. And he's and it's going to be a promised land. Okay. Then in Genesis chapter 13, 14 through 16, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot, this is later on in the story. There's stories about Abraham and Lot and what's going on with them. Okay. And they end up separating. When did he become Abraham? You know, I can't tell you exactly. You it's, just mentioned it. As I, I call him that because that's just what I call him, but he's not named that yet. Okay. So, um, They've separated, and the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. So what is he saying there that he's not saying? What's the inverse of what he's saying? Well, that Abraham is going to be kind of the father of all people. Or a whole lot of people that can't be numbered. Yeah. Right? They're beyond number. Well, what's interesting is that um, that reminder that it's telling us, the, the story's telling us more than it looks like on the surface. The Jews could at least theoretically to this day be counted. They keep detailed records. Okay. Okay, and they trace their lineage back. Now, particularly since the Holocaust, that has become difficult, but but some people can still succeed with it, in particular tribes. When I say tribes, I mean the 12 tribes of Israel, mm-hmm. the 12 sons of Jacob. Jews can trace their way back, at least in theory. So theoretically, they could be counted. So here is a hint that God is telling Abraham that his descendants will be beyond the people that could be counted because they're going to be as many as the dust of, dust of the earth, which cannot be counted. Okay. So they may not, they may not be Jewish. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Don't you think? Yeah. Okay. Um, Abraham and Lot are nomadic, and they move around with their herds and their possessions, okay? So they, that was the nature of what was happening at the time. And, uh, and then in Genesis chapter 14, Lot has settled in Sodom, and there is a battle between the teams of kings, and Sodom is captured and Lot's taken captive. So there's a bunch of kings in the area that each have their own kingdoms, and some of them group up and wage war on the other ones, mm-hmm. and Lot's taken captive. Okay. As a as a side effect of that, because Sodom is captured, okay? Lot so, is captured. Yes, but Sodom, the city where he's living, is captured, and so therefore he is taken captive. Okay. 
as with a bunch of other people. Okay. Um, in chapter 14, verses 13 through 16, then a fugitive came and told Abram the Hebrew. Now he was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of blah, blah, blah. Um, when Abram heard that his relatives had been taken captive, he led out his he led out his trained men, born in his house, three hundred and eighteen, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And that, as far as Dan, he divided his forces against them by night. He and his servants and defeated them and pursued sued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. He brought back all the goods and also brought back his relative lot with his possessions and also the women and the people. So this is interesting. These kings <laughs> get in a battle against each other, capture Lot, and they're having trouble defeating each other, and yet Abram takes his men and goes and defeats all of them and gets back Lot and all his possessions. Okay. So we've seen Abram move into the promised land, go there. Lot goes there too. They're nomadic. They're not owning land they own lots of herb herds and people and um enough that abram can take back lot when he's captured okay that's where we are in the story so stop here for a minute i want to look at secular history okay? okay so if we find ur on a map where have we heard of ur in our story just now you remember i don't remember it is the land from which Terah left. Terah okay. being Abram's father. Okay. He left the land of his birth in Ur of the Chaldeans. You are Ur. Okay. okay. So you find that on a map. This is any map. Any map. An ancient map. Okay. Okay. It was an important Sumerian city-state in ancient Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia, located at the site of modern Tel el Makhoyar, I have no idea how to say that, in South Iraq's, in, in the south of Iraq. Okay, let's just go with that. It, although Ur was once a coastal city near the mouth of the Euphrates on the Persian Gulf, the coastline has shifted and the city is now well inland on the south bank of the Euphrates. And it has a how many kilometers from a modern-day city in Iraq. Okay, so that locates uh-huh. Ur on a map. Now, if you notice, it said it was a Sumerian, S-U-M-E-R-I-A-N, city-state in ancient Mesopotamia. Uh-huh. If you do a Google search on the earliest civilization, uh-huh. Sumer, located in Mesopotamia, is the first known complex civilization developing the first city-states in the 4th millennium BCE. 4th millennium would be Mm 4,000 BCE. So, secular history would tell you the first known city-state is in the same location as the place that Abraham comes from and dates back somewhere within a time period that fits that not not exactly to the day but around so that time. similar in their in their tracking of time similar in their tracking of time and also location i mean abraham could have come from anywhere on the earth mm-hmm. and yet the bible records that he arose from the same place that archaeologists tell us is the oldest civilization so science is somehow backing or confirming what the Bible is saying. Science is at least like it if it if this was completely made up it could be anywhere in the world. And yet it happens to be the same place. Yeah. That scientists say is the earliest civilization. So somehow it it validates it. It, it a, could for in some look I mean of a better word. Yeah. Yeah, it could. That's interesting. Um, I never knew that before. I'm going to use that a lot now. What? That hey Genesis, there's there's a town called Ur <laughs> that was Abram's dad town where he came from. And archaeologists have the oldest civilization being the same town in the same area. The same region, yeah. The same region. So you guys. Yeah. <laughs> so here's another interesting Garden yeah. of Eden. If you go back and read in Genesis. Yeah, I know I know what you're about to say. In Genesis, Garden of Eden, it was 
Decatur, Alabama, <laughs> behind the Stuckies. There you go. Right off of 65. Okay, here we go. Among scholars who consider it to have been real, there have been various suggestions for its location, at, such as at the head of the Persian Gulf in southern Mesopotamia, now Iraq, where the Tigris and Euphrates rivers run into the sea. Okay, and another suggestion is Armenia. But that first suggestion is the same place where Ur... And really? shall Yeah, so here's... You go back and read Genesis 2, verses 10 through 14. Now a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It flows around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. The Delim and the Onyx Stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It flows around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris. It flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. And that's in Genesis Chapter 2, verse what is describing where Garden of Eden was, where Eden was. Hmm. Okay, so that also would place it in Iraq. Okay, and somebody hmm. can go do research on this, but I remember during one of the Iraqi wars when there was all this, or it could have been when ISIS was, I don't remember, but there was all this destruction going on in Iraq, and the area that they thought was potentially where the Garden of Eden was, was greatly destroyed at some point. Because I just remember that hmm. being in the news, which I thought was interesting. So the biblical date of the beginning or of Eden would be somewhere about 4000 BC, which is what we just talked about, like counting back and mm -hmm. the Jewish years. And so they're saying that Sumer, the first civilization, developed somewhere around 4000 BC. Um, but... Using that same biblical dating, Nahor, Terran, Abraham, that family would have been around 2000 BC. Okay, that's what we're looking at. Mm -hmm. And then this was something that I found really interesting. The chromosomal data on likelihood of all peoples descending from Noah. Now think about that. Do you know what I'm talking about if I said that? Um, I can guess. Chromosomal data, what does that mean? Well, it's the scientific makeup of your body. Or right, yeah. right. And so we all have these chromosomes, just like you send off to your Ancestry.com and get your DNA and know mm -hmm. who you're related to, okay? Mm -hmm. And so um, it's really interesting. So men have now, a where is this you're reading this from, story? This information? Yeah. Um, I have to click. It's, uh, it, it is a biased website called creation.com. A bias website. Yeah. So it's going to be coming from the direction that here's the evidence that we have for creation. Okay. 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 So it's not made up, but it's certainly trying to sell that point. Okay. okay. Um, so we know about chromosomes. Do you know about chromosomes? Like men have, what do they have? They have one of each, a Y and an X. They have a Y and an X. And then what do women have? They have a, one of them. They have two X's. Two X's. No Y. No Y. So if Noah's on the boat, and he has three sons. Men, so that's what makes a boy. The father gives the son a Y chromosome. The, mm -hmm. the mother can only give the X, right? So mm -hmm. if the father gives an X, then it's a girl. If the father gives the Y, it's a boy. Okay? Wow, okay. So your sons are going to have the same Y chromosome that you have, right? So on the boat, it's Noah and his three sons. So there's only one Y chromosome coming off the boat, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. The wife of Noah. <laughs> She ain't got no Y. No, it's him. He's got the okay, Y. Right. And his three sons all have the same one. I didn't pass. Did you get it? Do you get it now? The X's we don't know about, okay? okay. Because we don't know where the daughter-in-laws came from. The X's could be all different because okay, they're right, not right, biologically right. related, right. right? I got you. So, according to evolutionists, no... Um, ancient Y chromosomes have been found. This serves as a bit of a puzzle to the evolutionist, and they have had to resort to calling for a higher reproductive variance among men and, than women, high rates of gene conversion in the Y chromosome, or perhaps a selective sweep that wiped out all the other male lines. For the biblical model, it is a beautiful correlation, and we can take it as it is, because there's only... It turns out that Y chromosomes are similar worldwide. Worldwide. Okay. There's no 
different one. The evidence of the mitochondrial DNA fits our model just as neatly as the Y chromosome data. As it turns out, there are three main mitochondrial DNA lineages found across the world. The evolution's Lucianists have labeled these lines M, N, and R, so we'll refer to them by the same names. They would not say that these came off the ark. They claim that they were derived from other lines found in Africa, but this is based on a suite of assumptions, and there's details on that if you want to look it up. It also turns out that M, N, and R differ by only a few mutations. This gives some indication of the amount of mutation that occurred in the generations prior to the flood. So also talking about mitochondrial DNA... There's not, there's only a little bit of diversion in that in M, N, and R, and so would date back to these four men on the boat. Hmm. It's kind of cool. So that, yeah, maybe there's, yeah. So it's not, once again, I will say it again, we're not trying to prove. It's just cool to see how it can line up, mm. does line up, okay? So, um, when you study, when you take ancient history in um, school, what's the first thing you study? Anybody remember? Like you do it in the sixth grade the first time, and then if you take an ancient history course in college, this is going to be the first thing usually that they talk about in the book. First civilization, Egypt. Okay. You remember studying about the pyramids and all those cool stories? Kids love it because you get to read all those cool mythologies and all that neat stuff. So, Egyptian civilization dates to from 3100 BCE to 332 BC, BC, and that was um, 332 is when Alexander the Great con- conquered Egypt, and that's kind of the end of the Egyptian civilization. So it was the ancient civilization that lasted for millennia, right? 3100 to 332. So what's going to happen in our story when we jump back in? Egypt, there's going to Abraham's going to be traveling in and out of Egypt, and Egypt becomes a part of the biblical okay. story. So that's also another point of reference to actual secular history. I got you. Okay. Yeah. So those are just some things where um, we can see that uh, the Bible is intersecting with what we know is going on in the rest of the world. Yeah. And so at this point, I want to come back to the thing, talk a little bit about um, science and faith. Okay. Because we're going to be jumping around that throughout the podcast going forward. Well, let me ask about this then. We're um, in in our story, in our cards, in our flashcards, we're Tower of Babel. Abraham. Yeah, Abraham's the last card. And now Abraham Mm -hmm. is the last card. But Mm -hmm. it's Abram at Mm -hmm. this point. Yeah, Yeah, but the card does say Abraham. (laughs) Okay, but we'll get to the Abraham part. So... Let's say that we start talking about Abraham on the next episode. Sounds good. But right now we're going to finish this episode with the science and faith conversation or comments. Yeah. Okay. So, once again, it's not my purpose to try and say that we can prove how this story, the biblical story, is true scientifically. But we as Christians accept the Bible as true and truthful. The Bible is God's revealed truth to us. Remember that word, revelation. It's revealed truth. Revelation. Our interpretation as humans, the way we interpret the Bible may not always be correct. An example of that is like the Jewish people interpreting all the Old Testament, the prophecies, and not seeing Jesus as a fulfillment of those prophecies. What they were expecting in a Messiah was not who Jesus was. Okay. And to this day, an Orthodox Jew will say that the Messiah has not yet come. Okay. Yet they have the same scriptures that Christians look at and say that Jesus is a, that Jesus taught. We believe taught he was a fulfillment of that. Okay. So mm. it's there's always human interpretation of it, but mm. we we still see it as God's revealed truth to us. Okay. Science is discovering what happened or how things worked using specific methods. That's what the science is. Science is. It's discovery. So you take the scientific methods, you run tests, you, you gather evidence, you develop a hypothesis, you test your hypothesis. That's discovery. Mm-hmm. So God's truth in the Bible is revelation. Science is discovery. You see the difference? Mm-hmm. Okay. Science is not at the point of having it all figured out. 
Okay, science wouldn't say we have it all figured out. What you see throughout history is humans stating that they know it and this is the way it is. Well, this is the way, this is what it is, and this is what we know to be true. Mm -hmm. And that has been what humans have, that's what humans say today. It's what they said two years ago, 200 years ago, and 2,000 years ago. I mean, this has to be the truth. And when science starts around 500 BC, um, I'll just insert here. I'm not a scientist, but I'm married to one. Mm -hmm. So I have a good resource, two degrees in uh, undergraduate, graduate in electrical engineering and a doctor in physics. That's my husband, Tim. Mm -hmm. So I go to him for extra information on this stuff. So science starts around 500 BC and the scientific method really gets going around 1600 AD. And throughout all of that, scientists are saying, scientists are saying, this is what the evidence says is real and truthful. But they're always looking at it through the limited eyes they have at that point. Okay? Mm -hmm. More evidence comes in and the conclusion changes. And that's the way science is built. As we gather new information, then we change the position. The theory changes when there's evidence to prove the theory is incorrect. Okay? Okay. And so that might happen with a simple little, like you put out, you know, you're doing your sixth grade science project you put out your hypothesis you do experiments like well that theory's wrong because that didn't work or it could be something that Mm. lasts for centuries as being true right Right, right. so an example of that an example of where a theory changed the scientific model that survived the longest in history history lasted 1400 years okay it's a long time not one piece of scientific evidence to dispute that model appeared in that 1,400 years. And that model, the model was that the Earth was the center of the universe and everything around it moved. For 1,400 years. For 1,400 years, that was known to be truth in the way that we would say, this is true, science proves it's true. And from what year to what year? Uh, well, we'd have to count backwards. I guess somewhere around, uh, let's see, what's 1,600 minus 1,400, 200? So it would be somewhere around 200 A.D.? 200 A.D. to 1,600 A.D. It was totally accepted and believed that the scientific model that was true was that the Earth was the center of the universe and everything around it moved. So roughly six generations ago. Roughly six to seven generations ago. Oh, more than that. Well, 400 years. Oh, you mean to, since we changed? Yeah, yes. Yeah. But the length of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm saying was, since the last six generations of people. Yes. Believe now the sun is the center of the universe. Right. So in 1543, Copernicus published a model that had the sun at the center of the universe. 1543. And it really caught hold around 1600. So it, like most scientific Around the even 1600. Yeah. Like almost anything that is discovered or put out there, I think you will see this with any scientific theory that eventually becomes accepted at the time that it's introduced. Everybody's like, "Mm -mm, mm-mm, mm-mm, nope. But then as as time goes by, it's accepted. Okay, I've got got an interesting way to look at this. Okay. It's 2020 right Mm -hmm. now. Okay. In 17... 20. 300 years ago. 300 years ago. Okay, wait, I lost my train. Hold on a second. So 1600 is when it was generally accepted that the sun is the center. Mm-hmm. Okay. 300 years later, from 1600. To 1900. 1900. is when my grandfather was born. Okay. Just just before 1900. No, he was born just before 2000. No, no you're right. You're right. Yes. Yes. 300 yeah. years. So it's only been 300 years. 300 years after they came up with the, the sun. Copernicus, the yes. Yeah. My grandfather was born. Mm-hmm. Put that in perspective even more. 300 years ago, people were living in the Northeast United States as a new country. Mm-hmm. No, it wasn't even a new country. It wasn't a new country yet, but they were settling yeah. the United States of America. Things are pretty young, aren't they? So they're pretty young, but yet for 1,400 years, they thought the Earth was the center. 
So here we are now. It's just been 400 years since that. And we're going to try to tell y'all we know how old the earth is. <laughs> we got the scientific method, though. I mean, I'm telling you, at any point in history. In about a thousand years, we're going to say we got it wrong. See, I think that's a good perspective. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying we need to realize that humans are fallible. And while we might be 100% convinced that this is truth right now, if it's a scientific theory, there could mm-hmm. be more evidence. But some of them are much stronger than other ones. Like, okay, like there's, there's no holes in this theory, theory A over here. Mm-hmm. But this theory C over here, well, we now find a few things that make us think, mm, yeah. don't know if that's the case. So here's another current example that I okay. just ran across in the last week. And the final thing of episode three. Well, it, it's just, just a teeny bit more. Okay, we'll just- current example. Um what we know now about DNA and the detailed proteins it's made up of it, that makes up DNA is making Darwin's theory of the origin of the species less and less likely. Watched a, I don't know if you call it a podcast. You call it a podcast if you watch it on YouTube. <laughs> so watch podcasts on t- YouTube. Encourage you to look it up. It's called The Mathematical Challenges to Darwin's Theory of Evolution. It's put out by the Hoover Institute. Not sure how old it is. Last People that make vacuum cleaners? No, No, it's an institute of learning. You can go look up the Hoover Institute. That's a big... Anyway. But it's it's mathematically, these guys would say, impossible that randomness or that that Darwin's theory would work, that evolution would call these proteins to be put together. There's just so many ways that they could fail and only a an infinitesimal possibility uh, so small they say it doesn't exist that it would naturally happen that it would come together to create an actual change in species mm-hmm. so they're saying like small changes in evolution like i think one of the examples i give was like the length of a beak or the number of claws or something like that would be an adaptation to the environment mm-hmm. but the major protein and dna changes that would have to happen that mathematically it's impossible so that's something to think about you know, that there are, and they're not the only folks saying that, but I'm not the mm. scientist, so I can't speak into that. But yeah. that's just another another example of how we become convinced that something is that way. And I think particularly as the lay person, as the person who doesn't have all the knowledge and we're depending on people who are researching it, we don't realize that there's always room for error. Mm-hmm. There's always something new to be discovered. Which stands for me, stands, I don't want to say in opposition, but puts more trust in God's revealed truth. I don't want to put my trust in strictly in our discovered truth because we're limited. Because it's proven that we get it wrong sometimes. Yeah. And the Bible teaches us that we're limited people. We're, we're, we're never. So as a non-scientist who happens to be married to a scientist, my takeaway is that science is always limited by humans' ability to see. Humans are always limited, not, but God is not limited. I believe that this book, the Bible, is given to us by a sovereign, eternal, all-knowing creator God. I can't understand it all. We're not going to be able to understand it all. Because I'm always going to be limited. But someday, God willing, and if he wants us to, and I believe the Bible says that he does, we'll see how it all fits together. And that's his revelation. And in my opinion, I don't know if it even matters if we see how it all fits together at that point. Yeah, I think I find some comfort, though, in in recognizing that it does. Mm-hmm. I might not be able to understand it, but it does. So a phrase that I use all the time, I don't know if y'all use this, is... Does that make sense? Does that make sense? I say that all the time, Mm -hmm. more than I should. But that comes because we don't think something can be true if it doesn't make sense, you know? And and God made us that way. And we so partially we we don't we see things that way because we are human, but also we see that because of the last four hundred years of history, because of the four hundred years of science, that the age of reason and that Two and two is four, and four and four is eight, and everything adds up, and everything goes together. Um, To be in relationship with the eternal God requires faith. It goes beyond mere human reasoning. 
Okay. But yet God weaves this mystery into his revelation so it isn't blind faith. And I think those are like the neat little things we're seeing with Ur of the Chaldeans or with a story we're going to get to in our next episode, which is in the Old Testament, but it's totally shining light on something that's in the New Testament. You know, and just seeing how all these cool pieces fit together is like extra assurance to me of God weaving this discovery into his revelation. So faith is enhanced and challenged as we study the world around us um, and his revelation, his word, and in history. All of that enhances our faith as well as um, challenging our faith. And I think my opinion is that God wants that, which is the purpose behind doing, for me, doing the whole podcast is helping people to see what history is, first mm-hmm. of all, because it's not taught, and then also seeing how it can all weave together. It's really cool. So, I like it. You got any comments on the science part? Well, I only know was I'll make this comment it has nothing to do with what you were about scripture. I just really like when things start lining up factually, you know, with numbers. And if you if I know for a fact that in sixteen hundred we changed our belief on the earth revolving around our theory, our, our theory of the sun revolving around the earth and an opposite. And then I think about 1600 and then 1900 and 2000 and generations and people and how you can kind of look at it and carve it up. And it, it seems so much smaller and easier. And I don't know why, but it made me think of t- statistics and this this is probably not going to make the podcast. Well, so let me do a wrap up first. We'll be talking on the next thing on the next thing of Abraham. A bonus section is this. I read a book recently that you were reading. I don't know if you finished it. Uh, politics about why we hate each other politically. Them. Yeah, I wasn't going to give the shout out yet on that. I'm sorry. It's okay because I'm not trying to be biased. But if you want to get the book, you can get the book. In this book, it talks about statistics talks about most of our political news comes from Washington, D.C. and New York City. And then it talks about a high percentage, say 90% of the writers of that political news live in those cities and are highly educated people that live in those cities. And they write the political news that we consume, that guide our political thoughts. Did you get this part in the book? And then it goes on to say that the number one and number two best-selling vehicles in the United States of America are a Ford F-150 and a Chevy Silverado pickup. And then the question was asked to those news writers, political news writers, how many of you know someone that drives a pickup truck? And they don't because they live in D.C. and New York. So to me, it's a commentary on how disconnected our political news is to the majority of the country that drive Ford F-150s and Chevy Silverado. Yeah, and not just our political news, but all news. All news. So I don't know how that com- applies to the, the theory of the sun and the stars, but the fact that we changed it and the fact that my grandfather was born 300 years after it was changed, and that's only been 100 years ago. No, hundred. 120 years ago. Everything, it's just interesting how we uncover and we realize and we think that, oh, in, 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 maybe in a thousand years, we'll have a whole new understanding. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So I, think I, I don't it, know how that I think even, it applies because it's about perspective. That's, yeah, it's a better way to put it. It's, it's about perspective. perspective. This, this discussion about science and how theories change gives me the perspective that science is changing, that it's not rock solid, that everybody in every point in history has felt like their scientific opinion was the one, and yet it changes. Perspective, the awareness that the perspective of the people who are telling us what's important to be reported regarding politics or life or whatever is limited by a small geographic area and association with a certain group of people. Right. And so that's just, we need to have that perspective. We need to have that awareness. 
so that we can investigate outside the limits. Yeah. Which may also apply to some beliefs of the Christian faith. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, it makes me very grateful to have a source of truth that is not depended on limited human reasoning or human perspective. Yeah. Wow. That's a, see, that's another soundbite for the intro. All right, we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. Thank you. Thanks for listening to History Through the Eyes of Faith podcast, brought to you by One Thing Only. Find us online at onethingonly.org. Click on History Through the Eyes of Faith podcast for more information, reference material, our social media links, as well as a way to contact us to leave questions or comments. We will soon be streaming on all your favorite podcast platforms. Please rate and review. Thanks again for listening to History Through the Eyes of Faith podcast.